Great. Well, we're um, looking into God's Word as we do each week, uh, and we're in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, if you want to turn it up so that when we read it a little bit later, it will be right there. It's on page 1007, if you're uh, using a Bible which should be kind of in arm's uh, reach. So we're looking uh, together on Sunday mornings for a few weeks at Mark's Gospel. This Gospel is part of the Bible that we've got open in front of us now. Uh, and this little section we're looking at is, is built around four accounts, four um, stories that Jesus told and four miracles Jesus did. And actually it's quite interesting. It seems to be that um, Mark has built this section around them. And uh, I won't go into this, but you have a think about it. They actually kind of link together. The stories and the incidents kind of have connection points. So so something to look at if you're interested in that kind of thing. Mark is uh, taking different things that Jesus says and does in these early days of his ministry. And he's giving us a picture of just who Jesus is and how who he is and what he's done can be good news, good news for anyone, why he is the king to be trusted. We've been seeing how this gospel is this good news of Jesus, who, as it, it begins, it's, it, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark comes straight out of it in the, in the, with it in the first line. And last week we saw Jesus exercising power, really quite remarkable power, over the forces of nature. Remember, there was this huge storm on the lake, and uh, the disciples are terrified. They think they're going to drown, and they wake up Jesus, who's asleep, and with one phrase, he, at his word, the storm just is gone. The wind stops, the waves stop, everything is dead calm. And, um, well, the disciples are a bit terrified about that. Well, wouldn't you be? Uh, it was scary enough. Uh, in, in a way, I think the calm was more scary than the storm for them. Because they say, who is this? That he can just, with a word, calm a raging storm just like that. And then in, we saw last week how uh, Mark goes on to show us that Jesus also has this power over supernatural forces. There's, they meet this, this guy who's overwhelmed by evil spirits. And uh, Mark tells the story of how Jesus delivers him, rescues him, and how he's completely changed. And this is showing that Jesus' power is unlimited. Uh, it's in Gentile territory. This is the first time uh, possibly Jesus, apart from when he was a baby in Egypt, um, is outside of the Jewish area. And, and, and they were big into what was the territories then. And and in Gentile areas, Jesus is just the same, has just the same power as he has anywhere else. And when the disciples and others see all this, they're terrified again. They're fearful. Remember the people in, in the man's community, they send Jesus away. They say, we don't want this. We're, we're terrified of this. Again, they seem to be more scared of Jesus after he delivered the, the demon-possessed man than they were of the man. I suppose at least they knew the man was chained up or in some place before. And Jesus says this really interesting thing at the end, uh, after the um, storm. He says it to his disciples. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith, says Jesus. And this idea of fear or faith continues. Because as we've said before, the early readers or the early hearers of this 
uh, gospel when it was read in their communities in Rome in the 60s AD, those people had things to be afraid of. Evil seemed to be completely out of hand. They were living under a government where the emperor set fire to his own city so he could build, this was Nero, by the way, so he could build a bigger palace and then blame the Christians and started uh, persecuting them big time. There were other things that they were terrified of. It was relevant to them. Is Jesus Lord over these things? Can Jesus be trusted? Do they need to be afraid? And today, as we look into this passage, we'll see Jesus' power over not just supernatural forces, not over just these big things like, you know, wildly demon-possessed individuals and a raging storm. But here we see Jesus' power over things that are much more close to home, things that actually we may be scared of too. Illness, whether it's sudden illness that comes, as we shall see, or long-term chronic illness and death. Again, the question comes, are you going to be afraid or are you going to have faith in me? Again, it's all about Jesus' power, but it's as it touches the lives of two people. It's very personal. This Jesus who can calm a storm, this Jesus who can deal with an individual who's, who's got kind of raging with demonic spirits that have destroyed his life completely and do this spectacular thing. Can this same Jesus, is he a king who can, can deal with, as we shall see, an invisible woman, not literally an invisible woman, but a woman who, who nobody knew, nobody was aware of, or a family in a desperate crisis? Is, does he care about them? Has he got enough scope? Has he got the width band to care for individuals, or the bandwidth, I mean, to care for individuals in that kind of scenario? Does he really know about me? And remember, this gospel is an announcement of good news. The king has come. God is doing something. Our lives can be brought under his rule. So what's that like then? How is it going to work out? What kind of Jesus is, what kind of king is Jesus anyway? Does he really know and care about you and me individually in our circumstances? Well, let's look out for that through this passage today. How is this kingship, this, this one who has so much power, how is that going to touch my life? Well, let's read the passage. It's a really uh, a great kind of account. It's verse 21 of Mark 5, down there at the bottom of the first column. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciple answers, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And we'll pick it up later. So we see here, don't we, uh, uh, Jesus' power over sickness and death. I didn't do that. We need to get on. Now, a family emergency and a desperate woman. So Jesus is back now on the Jewish side of the lake of Galilee. So there's a map. I think, well, what a great projector. You can see the graphics and everything. So um, he was previously, as they say, he was probably here, this place there called Gergesa, on, but, but, and that's where the, the man was delivered from demons. And they come across, Jesus mainly hung out in Capernaum on that side. So probably they come over. So they go back over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum again. That's where they are. And the crowd arrives, as usual, and a man gets Jesus' attention. This man is called a leader of the synagogue. Now, that doesn't mean he's necessarily like a, a vicar or an imam or a rabbi. It probably means that he was like maybe one of the sponsors of the synagogue, or he, he kind of was on the committee that ran it, or he had some you know, people who had wealth, had a influence, uh, and helped run it and set it up and look after it and so on. And his name is Jairus, and he has a little daughter. We later re- read is 12 years old, and this girl is dying. She's probably, probably, we don't know for sure, but I guess she's become very ill and, you know, she's on a fast track, it looks, towards death. Probably an infection. I mean, there's no antibiotics in this society. There's no particularly formal health care. And this kind of thing can happen. Um, I remember when I first visited Bangladesh with my job uh, back in uh, the 90s, the late 90s, I took a little picture of two little girls. They were best friends. They were wearing matching saris, and one was the daughter of a, a pastor and her friend. And, and um, I sent them the picture. Oh, no, I hadn't sent them the picture. I had an email about um, three months after I got back saying, you know, you took that picture. Is there any chance you could send us a copy? Because one of those little girls died. She she got an infection in her leg, and we didn't have the antibiotics that, to treat it. I suppose now we talk about sepsis these days. It's probably that kind of scenario where you can go from something to crisis quite quickly. And this is the situation probably that Jairus and his family is in. And he pleads for Jesus, come and heal her, come and put your hands on her, then she won't die. And so Jesus uh, agrees to his request and they, he- they begin heading off. And of course the crowd, always the crowd is there. Uh, they go with them, they're always keen to see what's going to happen next. And so they go off. But as they go, there's this woman in the crowd who's got a- an issue of bleeding. Probably some kind of gynecological thing. It's been going on for 12 years. She's tried everything. She's desperate for help. Interesting, there's no name given. She's anonymous. I mean, Jairus may well have known her, small town, and uh, she was somebody he would have known her possibly because on the synagogue committee or as a leader, he'd have known that this woman was not allowed in the synagogue. She couldn't come to worship with the others because she was bleeding Uh, And um, the Old Testament law said that a woman was unclean during her period. And for her, that was constant, pretty much, I guess. So she could never go and worship. 
In fact, if anyone touched her, if you were a Pharisee or a, a very serious religious person, if you touched a woman uh, during her menstrual uh, time, then you were considered ritually impure. So see the kind of life that this lady's lived for 12 years. She pushes through to Jesus. Maybe her face is hidden so nobody recognized her and pushed her away if they touch her. She's behind him. It says she'd heard about Jesus. And she's sure that if Jesus could heal her if she just could just touch the, uh, his clothes coming up behind him. That would be enough. Maybe she thought he wouldn't want to touch me. He's a rabbi. I'm a woman who's bleeding. I'm unclean. So she kind of goes up and, and you know, in the crowd, kind of somehow pushes through and, and just grabs, touches the back of his cloak. And immediately, it says, immediately is a, uh, sorry if I woke you up, sorry. Immediately, um, that's one of Mark's great words. He's always saying that, immediately this happened. But it really was immediately. She felt something had changed. She knew she'd been healed. Jesus knows it too. Because it says, it senses, he senses that some kind of power has gone from him. So he gets up. You saw a little exchange. There's an exchange between him and the disciples. Who touched me? Jesus, don't be stupid. Everybody's touching you. No, I know. You know, don't, don't. You know, the disciples always think they know better than Jesus. They did then and they still do now, I think, often. But anyway, he says, don't. don't you know, somebody touched me. So he, he basically encourages, he waits. And this woman comes out of the crowd, terrified, shaking with fear. She falls at his feet and she tells him the whole story. And everyone else as well. Because <laughs> that's how crowds work in these cultures. Well, I guess any village. But, you know, they would have been really interested in the story too. Because everyone knows everything in these communities. The crowd are probably shocked as well as perhaps in suspense. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to rebuke her, tell her off? How dare she come and touch him? He's a top-notch rabbi. He's, he's, you know, how can she come and do that? She's going to make him impure. <laughs> no, Jesus stops all of that. He tells her that what she has just kind of done is faith. She's come to him and been healed. And Jesus says she can be whole. He says you can be liberated, you can be free. Uh, Look at verse 32 then, 34 rather. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace, that's a word that means wholeness. The Hebrew word behind it, shalom. She said, he said, you, you've come to me now. I want you to know my peace. I want you to know freedom from the suffering. Freedom inside. She said, he said, and you've shown faith. Earlier, the disciples were told, where's your faith? <laughs> Don't be afraid. Where's your faith? Here, this woman's done that one thing. Jesus says, that's it. Maybe disciples. Look at that, boys. Women. There were women disciples as well. They weren't the 12 apostles, but they were kind of hanging out with Jesus. This is faith. That's what it is. That's what you need. Because Jesus does it, doesn't he? he? He defines faith by her action. So let's look at it. 
She believed Jesus could help her. She knew that. She acted on it. And as she went after him, she touched his coat. She's saying, this is for me. She's responding to what she knew. She's acting on it. Do you remember the story of the lamp? You know, Jesus told that story a couple of weeks ago. We looked at it. He said, the kingdom of God, it's like a lamp. It's not hidden. It's there to be seen. And he went on to say, it's also like when you, maybe when you have, have dinner, uh, if, you, if you eat it, you get more. If you don't eat any, then you, what you have, you, it gets put in the bin later. And it's that, that process, the woman is saying, I want this. And she goes for it. And then Jesus actually takes her further because he brings her back. Even though she's terrified, he brings her back and says, I want something more for you. That is faith. And that's true for her. It's true for us. We believe something and we act on it. We go to Jesus and ask him. We say, Jesus, this is for me. Please, will you touch my life? Jesus intervenes and brings her back. I think to help her to see that he wants more for her than regular normalized periods. Can I say that one? Already, I already have. That's what she was going for. I want to be healed of my, my hemorrhaging. Jesus says, yeah, okay, but I want more than that for you. I want you to know me. I want you to know my peace. I want you to be freed from your suffering, which was actually more about more than about how much she bled, although obviously there was a physical issue. You see what's happening here? Helping her, taking her further, helping her to reach out. She reached out, and he wants her to go further than what she reached out for. Terrifying for her to start with, but look where it leads. This faith is dynamic. It moves forward. Now, isn't that the kind of faith we need? that move forward, that as we respond to Jesus, we enable him or allow him to kind of pull us forward into more that he wants for us. Realize that Jesus wants much more for you and for me than you think you need. Jesus wants more for me than I think I need. Have you got that? So for that woman... Faith is about moving into what Jesus wants. Because often we come and we think, oh, I just like this, I just like that. I just like to become a Christian and have peace with God. That's a nice thing to have. But Jesus, I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn of me. I want your whole life to be full of my peace. Isn't that the kind of faith we need? Is your faith growing like that? It is deeply personal. Jesus cares for her personally, as we see. He cares for us personally. She was an individual that was invisible to everyone else, but not to him. She's part of a community. And he wants them to see, too, what he can do. He actually brings her into that and makes it public. And it's very difficult for her to begin with. But it's important, and that's the same for us. Faith is about moving forward with Jesus individually, but it's also public. That's why baptism matters. It's a public way of saying, I'm going forward with Jesus. That's why being part of a church community matters, because we're kind of embedded with one another as we go forward together. And Jesus calls us as believers to live his way. 
to be like him with other people. And maybe that means that we need to stop uh, and not miss the invisible ones in our communities. Those who are on the outside like this woman. We want people who uh, reach out to Jesus to move from answered prayers or a particular event to know the peace of God on the whole of their lives. Jesus doesn't stop with the first experience of his power for that woman. And many people need to take that forward. There are many people out there. I guarantee almost that there are people you will meet this week who have had some kind of experience or have prayed or something has happened at some point in their life like the woman touching Jesus, but they kind of run away and nothing else has happened. Uh, have I got that? I can't tell you the whole story. This very last Saturday, the week before last, uh, Saturday week passed, I was uh, uh, being kind of looked after by a medical professional, um, and uh, we, you know, she made sure I, my chest was okay. And, um, we, and then, she, then she said, what do you do? Do you talk much? I said, well, in your job? I said, well, I talk a bit in my job. And she said, that, I'll talk about she said well, I'm not religious, but and she told me about an, an amazing thing that had happened in disaster and other things. And I just sensed God said, I got in my bag one of the little try praying things. You've got to give this woman a try praying booklet. And I did. And she said at the end of the thing, she said, you were meant to come today. Now, okay, I, no, she's just a normal person I just met, and um, you know, I just happened to have it with me. But that's why that matters, you see. Now, I don't know whether she'll take it forward, but it's a way of saying, go beyond that first, you know, God's answered prayer, or he's helped me this, or he's somewhere around in my life, to saying, okay, I'm going I'm to kind of go on, because Jesus wants more for us. For it. He wants to become fully part of our lives. And maybe if you're at that uh, uh, stage, you can um, take that on board, either to... to, to be open to who you might meet or for yourself to keep moving forward. Let's move on to the next part. Verse 35, see what happens next. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum. And which is in Aramaic, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl, there's that immediate word again, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We've seen this, the, woman, the faith of this woman in the crowd that Jesus cared for her. Now let's see how Jesus cares for this family as we see faith in the face of death. I wonder how long the incident was with the woman. Let's go back to Jairus. He, you know, he already said, please come. My daughter's going to die. Would you please come? He said, okay, yeah, I'll come. That's fine. They're going as far as they can with the crowd. And then there's this interruption. And Jesus stops. And, you know, if Jairus had a watch, which he didn't, he'd have been looking at it or he'd have been thinking, Oh, come on, hurry up, Jesus. Oh, what are you going to bring her forward for? Can you you get home? Imagine how he must have been feeling. And then his world collapses. 
Because somebody he recognizes, he sees him at the edge of the crowd, they say, Jairus, it's, it's over. Don't trouble him. She's dead. She's gone. Jairus' world just must have fallen in. Just collapsed. And yet Jesus says something quite remarkable to him. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, the NIV translation, just believe, makes it sound a bit casual. You know, don't be afraid, just believe. Actually, it's not that. It, it, it's saying, let faith, because in our, in our translation, believe, it's the same word as faith or a derivative of the word in the Hebrew so, you know, if you were reading it in the Greek, rather, if we were reading it in the original, we see there was a connection here. It's about faith again. Don't be afraid, he says. And it's not, it's actually older translations say only believe. The point is, Jesus is saying to Jairus, is it faith or fear again? Now, there are moments like this, aren't there? We get a diagnosis, say, and it, your world could collapse. Um, I remember uh, wait about seven and a half years ago, waking up out of a, uh, a sedation, um, and a doctor came over and uh, rather excitedly, I felt, told me that I'd got a gastrointestinal stromal tumor, a gist, which he was, he said, it's very rare. All I heard was tumor. And um, he was quite excited about it. I, I, w I wasn't sure what to make of it. And I remember that weekend, there was a decision. Is it fear? Or is it faith? Is it trust? I didn't know what God might do. Uh, as mo most of you know, after surgery, and when they finally got it out and into a lab, it was something even more rarer, but that was benign. And I'm truly grateful for that. But that's not so for everyone. But that decision, is it faith or fear? And those things kind of build up. There are other little things in our lives that, you know, we have to make a decision. Are we going to trust or are we going to be fearful? I could tell you many stories. I, in my old job, I used to travel alone occasionally. That's the trouble. It was quite occasionally every few years. I'd do a trip on my own for four weeks into Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Nepal, those kind of countries. And, uh, you know, that I used to, I've had a few experiences where I thought, you know, if nobody's met me, I remember standing at Kabul Airport once for about an hour, and I think everyone had forgotten me. Uh, no one came to meet me, I had no idea what to do next. And is it, am I going to go into blind panic, or just going to somehow, is it fear or faith? I mean, it, I didn't say I wasn't fearful, I, it, I was, but it, you kind of have that decision. What's going to be the controlling thing? What is going to have the last word in this situation? And look what happens. It look, it, as you look at the next few verses, it seems that Jesus, it's amazing. Actually, Jesus takes charge of the whole thing. Do you notice that? Jesus, first of all, dismisses the crowd. I don't know how he got rid of them. Maybe he told the nine disciples and others who were with them, say, you take the crowd. I'm taking these three with me. We're going to Jairus' house. He gets to the house. There's a commotion because the professional mourners are there. You know, they, had, they hired these people. Uh, the girl had only been dead not long, but they must have expected her to die, and he was a high-status person, so you could afford for people to come and professionally wail and moan and scream and shout and everything. Jesus says, to, you know, Jesus tries, he, he dismisses them, 
Um, he, they laugh at him. Uh, they can't. They kind of be very genuine in the morning, can they? They were one minute they were laughing at Jesus next, before uh, before they were brokenhearted. But that's just kind of how it was. But he's taking charge. He says she's not dead but sleeping. Well, what's that about? Well, if you're if you have the power to raise the dead, and Jesus said on a number of occasions that he did then actually every dead person is asleep, ready to be woken up by Jesus. It's just a question of when. It's either at the end of the age or it's when he chooses. And if he's there, he's choosing now. They don't get that, so he throws them out anyway. But he takes charge. Do you see that? Now, is it too simple to say that faith in the midst of fear starts to grow as you let Jesus take charge? Invite him to take it from here because he really does know what he's doing. And Jesus speaks. He speaks a word in Aramaic. Mark remembers the, or has heard from Peter, the Aramaic phrase, and he puts it in. That's the language they spoke. The gospel's written in Greek, but the language of the local community was Aramaic. It's his personal statement. Does Jesus care? Yeah, he cares enough to personally speak to this girl. And she's alive. And the first voice she hears, the first face she sees is Jesus and her parents. She needs some food, he says. This is power, but look how it's exercised with gentleness, with compassion, with attention to practical details. Food, give her some food. It's grace. (laughs) That's how our king operates. That's who he is. Does he care? Of course he cares. What's our response to be? Faith. There's the woman's faith who comes, she touches Jesus, she says, this, it's for me. And then she comes out of the crowd to encounter Jesus. And that opens up his continuing work in her life. Fear doesn't stop her. There's Jairus' faith. Despite his fear, his grief, the impossibility of it all, he trusts Jesus. He lets Jesus take the lead. And he follows. And it leads to an encounter with Jesus for his whole family that brings... I mean, Jairus could have said, oh no, you know, he could have said no thanks to Jesus, I suppose. No, he's dead, but he didn't. He lets Jesus, he invites Jesus in. And that same process is crucial for us, whether we're beginning the Christian life or going on in it. And in all these incidents, I must close, in all these incidents, what do we see? We see Jesus' power, and that power is usually exercised at his word. But we also see his presence. He is there with them. So what he's saying for the woman and the crowd is, don't just take the power, don't just be healed. Come and look me in the face. Come out of the crowd and tell me the story. Jesus is saying, it's, it's my presence, my personal contact with you. And it's so for Jairus and his family. Let me come to your home, Jairus. All the rest, chuck out these mourners. Get rid of these. Now, you, Jairus, the the girl's mum and these disciples, we're just going to be here. My presence is here. And that's going to make a difference. We have Jesus' power, his word, and his presence in all through this. And faith grows out of Jesus' word and Jesus' presence. Now, what about us? Some of us have longed to see illness healed. We've lived with stuff for more than 12 years. 
It's interesting, 12 years is the link, or one of the links between these two children, or these two stories. The child is 12 years old, and the woman's had the illness for 12 years. I don't know what the significance of that is, but I find it interesting. Anyway, I thought I'd share that. Here in Mark, you see, Jesus is present. The kingdom has arrived, and the king is there. And as we see in the gospel, he always heals when he's asked to heal. Although we shall see next week that sometimes his power is limited, but that's another thing. And for us too, he can heal. He can bring resurrection even, and he sometimes does. It happens. But it's not always like that. And that's the hard thing. You think, if only if I was there, if my child was there, or if he, Jesus knew about my chronic illness. You know, I, some of us have maybe had illnesses for a long time. If only I could touch him like that, I'd be completely healed. And it doesn't happen in the same way, although Jesus is still touching our lives, and he does still heal and it's quite right to ask him to do so because he can and he does but there's no absolute guarantee like it was in the gospels but we today have his word remember the word the power the presence it's what we learn it's what we live it's what we pray on and we have the presence of his holy spirit with us So faith can still grow in these ways. We can still hold on to Jesus. That's faith. We can ask Jesus to intervene. Yes, in healing. And if we don't get the healing we're expecting, he still comes with his grace and his help and his power. He gives us a different kind of power. And I know it it can be very tough, but he's there with us in those tough times. We can allow him to take us further than we might expect or believe is possible. Remember, he wants more from us than we think we need. That's faith. We can allow him to take the lead in our lives. So we hold on to Jesus. We ask Jesus. We get led further by Jesus. We allow him to take the lead in our lives. We trust his presence with us. We believe his word for us. And then we find that fear starts to give way to faith. Fear doesn't need to be the dominant voice in our experiences. What if we lived with Jesus by faith as our king in this way? Reaching out to him, holding on to him, asking him, trusting him, believing him when fear would stop us, knowing him with us, welcoming him into the places of need in our lives, just like Jairus did, because he cares. Let's throw out the alternatives, all the, you know, like the mourners. You know, we have all these kind of ideas about how we think the best way to handle these things. And uh, Jesus says, no, I'm all you need. Letting Jesus bring life into our experience. And what if we did that together as a community? That would be something, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, account of Jesus' care. Thank you that he is the king of grace and compassion. Lord, we pray that we may learn what it is, not just to reach out to him. Help us to do that, to welcome what he wants for us into our lives but help us also to be led forward by him to know him with us giving us the grace thank you for his word thank you for his presence by the spirit 
And thank you that the, the, the power that we can know that, that, that just works out in, in the way that you know is best. Lord, we pray that we may know that power in more healing. We pray too for more grace. We pray to grow, to be more like you. Help us as a commu community to live your way. In Jesus' name, amen.